tools or devices or whatever you use um, as a copy of God's word and turn to Philippians chapter 4. For those of you that are joining us for the first time, we've been doing a series on contentment. We just started, so you're not too far gone. And um, every, every week I'm going to talk about one aspect of contentment. Uh, we talked about contentment from above last week, and today we're going to talk about contentment from within. Contentment from within. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, down through verse number 20. Hear now the word of the living God. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. The implication there is Christ. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increased to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, um, these are your people, and this is your word. Join them together now. Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes that we might see truth. We might see how to apply it and how to live it. We need your help both for the hearer and the speaker. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen and amen. Well, the, the text that I just read to you is probably one of the most well-known texts on the subject of contentment. In fact, it's iconic. If you were to go through the Bible, you would see that this text speaks very loudly and very clearly on the issue of contentment. In fact, there are three verses in this text that um, I've been told are the most quoted verses in all of Scripture. Verse number 11 says this, 
not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Or verse number 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Also, by the way, the most misunderstood and misquoted verse in all of scripture. And of course, verse number 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Those are the three verses that people quote so much when we think about and understand contentment. And, and what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to look at these three verses along with its surrounding context, and I want to give us three important lessons about contentment. And here's the first lesson. Verse number 11, contentment must be learned. Contentment must be learned. Now, this may not come as a surprise to you, but when you become a Christian, there's a lot of things about Scripture you need to learn. There's a lot of things about being a Christian that you need to learn. I became a Christian in my early 20s. I think I was like 20, 21. And, and I remember when I first became a Christian, um, they came to me, right? And I knew that I was a Christian. I, I knew that God had done something in my heart. It felt as if somebody took a backpack off of my shoulders. It felt that I was released. I felt, I felt a joy and a happiness I had never felt before. So I knew that God had saved me. And when I first became a Christian, uh, they said, Dennis, we want you to come to youth group and be a youth leader. Now, this was a Baptist church. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me say I love my Baptist brothers. So don't hear me dumping on my Baptist brothers. They do things a little differently, and that's okay. But there is no way I'm supposed to be leading a group of uh, youth leaders. There's no way. And so, and so they say, well, Dennis, you know, you're going to be a youth leader. And so, and so fine. So I show up, and, and I had my Bible. And, and the first game they played was draw swords. Anybody remember draw swords? It, you know, it's when you, when you take your Bible and you have it like this, and they'll say Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. You'd open it up, and, and then you would quote it, jump up and quote it. And so, and so we started playing this game. And you know what I realized? I didn't know the books of the Bible. I mean, I had sixth graders taking, eating my lunch. I mean, sixth graders. They were amazing. And, 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 and throughout that whole week into that first month, these kids were destroying me because I did not know the books of the Bible. So you know what I did as a 21-year-old? I said, that's not going to happen again. And so I memorized the books of the Bible. Now, that's not a good motivation for memorizing the books of the Bible, but the Lord works in mysterious ways. So I memorized the books of the Bible, and I crushed those little kids for the rest of my time. There. In fact, they had to stop doing draw swords, or they had to tell me, Dennis, don't, don't play anymore. Because I wasn't having it. If you know me, I, I can be competitive, right? But, but it doesn't surprise you that I had to learn that. Because when you become a Christian, there's all sorts of things you have to learn. But you know, when I read this scripture, and as I was preparing and studying, it dawned on me. It's kind of surprising that the Apostle Paul said he had to learn contentment. By, by the way, do you know who the Apostle Paul is? He was a Pharisee. And you may not know this about Pharisees, but he wasn't just any old Pharisee. He was the Pharisees of Pharisees. 
Let me, let me put it in perspective for you in case you didn't know. By the time the Apostle Paul was 12 years old, he had memorized, by all accounts, he had memorized close to 5,900 scriptures. 5,900. That's, that's the first five books of the Bible. He had it memorized. Not only that, by the time he hit maybe right before 20, he had memorized, by all accounts, most of the Old Testament. Now, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 23,000 verses. Paul studied underneath Gamaliel, who was the most learned Pharisee known at the time. That was like studying at Harvard or Yale or some other Ivy League school with the best professor. Paul said he was the Pharisees of Pharisees, meaning in every way possible he studied the teachings of Judaism and he knew them back and forth. In fact, the practices of the Pharisees were so legendary, Jesus said, that except your righteousness exceeded the righteousness of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And yet, here's this Pharisee who is educated, religious, knowledgeable, said that when he actually became a Christian, he had to learn some things. Now, why is that? Listen to me very carefully. Education, religion, religious practices doesn't guarantee that we learn this valuable lesson of contentment. It must be learned. We must learn it. In fact, it's one of the most important lessons that we can learn as Christians, and even if you're not a Christian in here today, it's one of the most important lessons we can learn. I remember this came home to me recently. A few months ago, uh, we were studying uh, the story of Adam and Eve in family worship. Our family does family worship. We keep it very simple. Song, yelling, scripture verses, yelling, prayer requests, more yelling. So we keep it very simple, right? So we were doing family worship. And, and in the midst of studying Genesis and, and the story of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, after we were done studying, my, my children asked me a very important question, very important. Here's the question that they asked me, and, and think about how you would answer this. One of, my, one of my children said, Father, actually they call me Daddy. Daddy, if God knew that they were going to eat the fruit, then why did he put it in the garden? Oh, man. That's a very important question. And she, you know, me, uh, you know, I went to seminary and I said, that's, I, I guess this is go time for me. And so I started telling them about the Edenic covenant and, and how, you know, with covenant theology, there's blessings and curses. And, and I could see the, their faces begin to glaze over as I begin to speak. You know, I wish I could have that moment back for this one reason. I would have told them because God wanted them to learn contentment. Do you know the word learn in this passage? The word learn means to learn by experience, not cognitively. It means to learn by experience. And, and what happened is God put them in the garden and God says, you could have any, any of the trees in the, garden of go, uh, in, the, in the garden of Eden, any one of them you want, apples, strawberries, whatever. You just can't touch this one 
tree. And what did Adam and Eve do? They weren't content. They weren't content. C.H. Spurgeon, a well-known pastor, preacher, said this about contentment. It's not how much you have, it's how much you enjoy. And I love the word enjoy. Do you know what the word enjoy means? The word enjoy comes from the Latin word go there, meaning to rejoice over. And, and here's what Spurgeon's saying, because Adam and Eve should have known this. Adam and Eve had everything they wanted. They lacked for nothing. They had everything they wanted. And instead of rejoicing over what they had, they longed for what they didn't have. That sounds like you and I. Or, or if I could say it differently, that sounds like me. My heart is never content about what I have. Instead of me rejoicing over all that God has given me, all that God has done in my life, how far God has brought me, I continuously look at the one thing I don't have. And that could be all of us. It could be a job. God has blessed you with the job. But you pine for the job you don't have. God has blessed you with wonderful relationships, but you pine for the relationship you don't have. God has blessed you with a car or a house, but you're constantly pining about the car and the house you don't have. God has blessed you with a church, but you're always pining and talking about the church you don't have. All of us are like that, whatever it is. We don't rejoice in what God has done for us. We don't rejoice that uh, what God has given us. God has given us families, wonderful families with siblings. But yet we always fuss and fight about the sibling we don't have or the family we don't have. You know, that's one of the bedrock things about the gospel. God calls us to love and enjoy and rejoice over what he has given us. But just like our parents, Adam and Eve, spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, we long for what we don't have. What are you longing for what you don't have? Uh, you know what? I often ask myself the question, Dennis, what, what else does God have to give you in order for you to joy, enjoy him? What, what else does God have to do in your life in order for you to say that's enough? Ask yourself that question. What, what are you longing for God to do that he hasn't already done? That's contentment. That's what the Bible calls contentment. Now, Paul says something else here that's, that's really profound. He said contentment not only must be learned, but it must be learned in the highs and lows of life. Notice what he says in verse um, number 11. For I have learned in whatever situation I am in there to be content. Verse number 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is he saying? I've learned to be content in every situation, the highs of life and also the lows of life. Do you know Paul had a Ph.D. in suffering? Oh, he did. Like, read through the Bible. Like, like this isn't hyperbole for Paul when he says, I've been brought low. Like, he's been beaten, shipwrecked. Beaten? Starved? Beaten? I mean, you can go on and on and on. 
And one of my favorite scenes in all of scripture, I wouldn't want to go through it, but I marvel that he did, was Paul had just been beaten. Him, Paul and Silas had just been beaten. They had been put in the stocks. They were like this. And what were they doing? Were, were they complaining about how they were treated unfairly by the Roman government? Or, or that, that you know, they could have given them 48 lash instead of 49? What did they do? What did they do? They sang. You all know scripture. They sang. Now, how many of us would sing in that? That's when you understand the doctrine of contentment. Now, Paul says something else that's interesting. We all could understand that contentment is needed when we're low. But what about when we abound? What about when um, we are facing, when we are in plenty and abundance? How does Paul say we need to learn contentment there? That, that doesn't make much sense. What is Paul getting after here? Now, let me back up for a moment because this is important. When it comes to suffering and not having any, um, I, I was reading the commentary by James Montgomery Boyce. Some of you know James Montgomery Boyce, uh, excellent Bible teacher and scholar. And he said something that just I was scandalized by. He, here's what he says. He says, every Christian should give away a substantial amount of their wealth at some point in their lives. And I was like, this man is crazy. He, he actually expects Christians to give away the majority of our wealth? Yes. Montgomery Boy says about this passage that each and every one of us should seek to give away a substantial amount of our wealth at some point in our lives to learn how to be a Christian when we don't have a lot. Now, I was scandalized by this, and here's why. Here's why. Because I live in a society that constantly teaches me Money equals contentment. We, we all live in the same society, by the way. We all live in the same society that tells us constantly, money equals contentment. The more money we have, the more content we would be. Now, now we know that's not the truth because we've all looked at the Johnny Depp trial. Okay, I admit it. I, I kept up with it. Look, I, I love me some Johnny Depp. I said it. I, was, I wasn't picking favorites. I was not picking favorites. But that's Captain Jack Sparrow. I mean, you know, I, I, you know I, but, but as I was looking at this, I said to myself, the biggest takeaway wasn't that Johnny Depp won. That, that's not the biggest takeaway. The biggest takeaway is that once again, all of the things our world praises as giving contentment and joy were shown to be insufficient. Once again, how many times do we need to see it? Our world tells us intellect, money, fame, beauty, all of these things are the key of, for success, the key for contentment and happiness. And if you watch the trial, you know that is not true. They were the most unhappy, to put it nicely. They were the most discontented people. They were angry. They fought one another. They were nasty to one another. I wouldn't want their life for all the money they had. Now, how many times do we have to see this to know that that's not where contentment is? How many more trials do we have to see? 
How many more podcasts do you need to listen to? How many more sermons do you need to listen to? Before you stop chasing after the things that you know, do not, under any circumstances, bring contentment. You don't need to convince me anymore. Now, you might be sitting there and saying, Pastor Dennis, you convinced me. But how does this work practically? Here's what Augustine has to say. Uh, Augustine was, was, was saying the same thing. Struggling to figure out how to be content. And he says this, how then do I seek a happy life, meaning a contented life, he asks. Since happiness is not mine, he says, till I rightly can say, it is enough, this is it. Let me ask you a question. How do you know when it is enough? Do you tell yourself, this is it? And we could say it about just about anything. Food, drink, money, success. Is your spiritual life calibrated enough to say, it is enough, this is it? Now quickly, and this will be my last point. Notice what he says in verse 13. Not only should contentment be learned, contentment should also be taught. Notice what Paul says. I know how to be brought low. Brought low. Not that he made himself low. He was brought low. Now let me ask you theologians. Who brought Paul low? God. Great answer. We will also accept Jesus. Okay? Equally as good. Now, now notice, notice the second question. Uh, I have a second question for you. So in verse number 12, he said, I've been brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. The word there, learn the secret, means to be initiated, initiated into suffering, or initiated into abundance. Now, let me ask you theologians, who initiated him? Let me say something to you. Do you have a God sovereign enough and big enough that you trust to bring you into low and abundance? Now, we're all okay with abundance. You know, I've never heard a Christian say, man, I hope God doesn't make me wealthy. Except maybe the guy in Proverbs 30. But most of us, we don't have a problem with abundance. But let me ask you a question. Do you have a God big enough that, that you can trust if he brought you low. Now, now listen to me. I'm about to say something. I need you to listen to me carefully because I don't want you to walk out here and say, Pastor Dennis said some heresy. I want you to listen carefully. I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm going to ask you a question. Could it be that God is using higher gas prices to teach us how to be content? Could it be that God is using higher food prices and consumer prices of goods to teach us how not to complain but how to con be content? Could it be that God is giving us bad leadership in government to teach us to be content with his leadership and direction? And could it be that God is saying, don't complain about these things? Instead, trust in me. Do you have a God where that's possible? I do. And this is what scripture calls us to. Paul didn't want to face hunger and need. He didn't want to be initiated. But God said that he had to in order for him to learn contentment. Children, parents, 
Last thing I'd say, parents, teach your children contentment. Uh, Buy them less gifts during Christmas and their birthday. Some of these kids are looking at me now. Pastor Dennis, we will wish you, but now you're off the rails. (laughs) This sermon, you've stopped. You've stopped proclaiming God's word, and now you, you have lost your mind. No, hear me. Hear me, young people. One of the most important lessons you can learn in your life is learn contentment. And parents, it's our job to teach them that. Buy them less. Give them less. It won't kill them. And tell them why you're doing it. And instruct them. That's our responsibility as parents. And let me say this too. Learning contentment is more caught than it is taught. So you know, when they see you being content, they're going to learn to be content. That's what the scriptures called us to. Now, there's so much more that I could say, but I'll leave it there. In verse number 13, Paul does say this, though. Finally. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Paul isn't talking about some inward strength that he gets just from himself. Notice he said, I can do all things through him, meaning Jesus Christ. Every single verse in this passage that I, that, that I read to, verse number 11, verse number 13, even down to verse number 19, has as its offspring the glory and majesty and sovereignty of God working in our lives to bring about contentment. The biggest framework in the Bible is that God created you and he's given you everything you can possibly imagine to be content and to rest in his sovereignty. Let me say every time in my life that I have been discontented inwardly, it's because I always want something God has never promised me. And that's the big takeaway. Stop desiring things that God never promised you. That's what Paul said. And that's how he learned contentment. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. These are hard lessons for all of us, for children, for parents, even for husband and wives, how often we are discontented in our marriages, discontented on our jobs. Lord, I'm convinced you can give us everything our hearts desire and we can never be content until, as Augustine says, we find our rest and our contentment in you. Teach us, O Lord, and may we learn. In Jesus' name, amen.